Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, domestic abuse, rage and steroids are a deadly combination for an ex-wife and mother, according to investigators. A mother of two in Florida is dead, her body burned, and all that remains of her is a jawbone and a tooth. Her accused killer, her ex-husband, could have been locked away before this all happened. But no, prosecutors who had a case against him for allegedly strangling his wife dropped the charges against this former Marine in January, perhaps paving the way for this atrocity to take place just as she was leaving him. But first, two fathers each driving with their children in their cars pull out their guns while driving on the highway in Florida and in the middle of an insane episode of road rage, the two dads shoot at each other. The idiot fathers don't get injured, but both of their children, their daughters, get shot and injured. The two men have been arrested for attempted murder. The sheriff says it's a miracle that no one got killed. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 19th of 2022. Our guest today is Alexandra Gio, a former Texas state prosecutor who specialized in prosecuting sex crimes. Now, Alexandra is a criminal defense attorney, also working as um, an advocate for victims and survivors. Joining us from Dallas, Alexandra, we've been waiting for you to join us on this program. We're so excited. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, this is fantastic. You know, we um, we cover a lot of domestic violence on this program. Um, sex crimes tend to be part of that and, and the murders. So your expertise as a former prosecutor, hopefully you can shed some light into these two horrific cases. Honestly, it's like everyone's lost their mind. I mean, absolutely. Uh especially, you know, with the first case you talked about, it's definitely no doubt that we can see a pattern of behavior of domestic violence, of power and control leading up to this horrific murder. And then we have two grown men who have lost absolute control of themselves. And the people who pay the price are their own daughters. I mean, it's horrific. It's it's really unbelievable. Both cases are out of Florida. I mean, the idea that you could be driving down a highway and both drivers are shooting at each other, it's it's 
I, it's really unbelievable. Really it's unbelievable. wild. Yeah, it, it really is. So the first case is out of the Jacksonville, Florida area, where two fathers are charged with attempted murder after a road rage incident left each of their daughters injured. So 6 p.m., on a Saturday. All right, people going to dinner, people going home, you know, not a lot of traffic. I mean, I think that's relaxed time, right? I mean, that could be you and me. That could be anybody. I mean, that could be tourists driving in and out of Florida on that road. That yeah. could be just innocent people on that road. Absolutely. Now, the two dads are carrying their daughters in their cars and other family members. <laughs> they get into this shootout on Highway 1 and they exchange gunfire while in the moving vehicles. And as I said, the only ones who get injured here are the little girls. And each child is shot by the other father. And then the two fathers are enraged. Like when they finally do pull over because they see a sheriff's deputy, uh, an officer. When the, when the fathers get out of the vehicle, they start pummeling each other in front of the cop. And, and it's unbelievable to think that on top of just the road rage that happened, then they escalated with firing weapons at each other's car. Both of their daughters have been shot. The first thing that comes to mind is not tending to their daughters or figuring out what's going on. They continue this anger and rage and fight each other in front of the police. It's just unbelievable. It really is. And thank goodness. And I, I know not all the cameras, like all the traffic cameras, all that mm. has come in, but we've got some dash cam video that we're going to show you in just a second. Um, let me set up the, the, the two dads here. So sheriff's deputies say that the two men, William Hale and Frank Allison, did not know each other, but they got involved in this road rage incident where they were driving erratically, they were speeding and then brake checking, like, you know, which means you pull in front of the other driver, you slam on your brakes, and you're testing whether the mm -hmm. other guy or woman is going to hit you. Not smart, you know, and they're, and they're engaging each other. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even know where to, where to go with this. I, the, the fact that, okay, so we're going to pick it up at the dash cam video. And for those of you who are listening uh, and won't be able to see this, honestly, I encourage you to see this video because I think when you see these two guys, you'll be like, oh, for heaven's sakes, it makes perfect sense. Look at these two. Um, okay, so <laughs> the, the sheriff's deputy breaks them up. And, and so their families are also out of the car. When you see this video, you're going to see and hear the children are crying, obviously, They've right. been shot. Sure. <laughs> On top of probably just going through a horrific road rage incident of the brake checking, of the reckless driving, of what I'm assuming is probably yelling and screaming in a vehicle. And then they just got shot. I mean, they're terrified. They're hurt. Yes. They're injured. It's they're awful. absolutely crying. It's chaos. This dash cam video is chaos. And then one father doesn't have his shirt on. Does that not like scream Florida? <laughs> I right? was going to say it kind of screams. Florida. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you like you honestly and they're they're yelling. We're going to play the clip full on. They're yelling. They're cussing. It's mm -hmm. insanity. Let's play that clip. Do me a favor. Let's take care of your daughter. Just stay right here. Absolutely. Okay? I'm all about taking care of your daughter. Oh, my me. God. Look at me. You're okay.
Oh my gosh, Alexandra, when when you see that chaos, like it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense that these idiots did what they did or are Absolutely. charged with doing uh, allegedly what they did. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the prosecution is going to follow through with charging both of them with the second degree attempted murder, uh, because they're going to have to start from the very beginning. You know, they're going to have to see the 911 calls, the witnesses of the break checking and the cat and mouse game, uh, because any good defense attorney is going to try and claim either self-defense for one or the other. Right. Uh, and so. The issue is that you're going to lose a self-defense claim if you're committing another offense. So if they have witnesses that they're both committing the offense of reckless driving, then they don't get a self-defense claim. Uh, and so it's going to be really interesting how either the prosecutors or how a good self-defense uh, claim can come up or a defense attorney is going to try and help one of their clients because neither of them did themselves any favors by the way that they acted from the get-go. Oh, if this goes before a jury, and I know juries are unpredictable, especially in Florida. Oh, but this one, because, you know, the sheriff did a news conference and uh, the department put it on Facebook. So not only was I listening to the sheriff's comments, but I'm reading, I'm reading the, the comments of like, what do people think? And for the most part, I mean, you cannot get any form of sympathy for either of these, as no. the sheriff calls them, stupid men. Yes, yes absolutely. Uh, you know, there's just no way that at any point, I think any reasonable jury is going to understand how either of them decided to continue to escalate their behavior. Uh, and especially you know, I think the second shooter, Hale, decided to chase after a vehicle uh, and the 14 year old was shot in the back. I mean, so you're you're already understanding as a prosecutor, the direction of that bullet was you were shooting towards the back of a vehicle. I mean, there's just little to no self-defense claim there. I mean, that's just a malicious act. I mean, there's there's no way a jury is going to understand that behavior. And they completely lost control. And at no point, Mm -hmm. especially if you get all the way to the dash cam video, do either of these men find a moment of self-control? And as you eloquently said, thought about getting their kids to the Mm -hmm. hospital. It was the deputy who had to break him up on the side of the road who managed Mm -hmm. to get the children to the hospital, not life-threatening. But one of the girls was shot in the back and her lung collapsed. That's not okay. I mean, that, 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 you know, who knows what kind of problems she's going to have as a result of that. So this all happened on October 8th, and officers said that they received multiple 911 calls. The men were allegedly speeding and brake checking and all that. And one caller reportedly told dispatch that he was worried something bad was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it did. Mm -hmm. It could have been Mm -hmm. worse, but it was bad enough. 35-year-old William Hale was driving a black Dodge Ram pickup back to Douglasville, Georgia, where he lives. He had his family in the truck. 43-year-old Frank Allison of Callahan, Florida, had his family in a gray Nissan Murano. Now, according to the preliminary report, and here's the thing, I don't know who started this, you know, and until all the videos are in, I'm not sure that I'm going to believe either one of these fools. Um, But nonetheless, whoever started it, they both engaged. 
They both mm-hmm. engaged and that's the problem because it's, you know, it's like action opposite reaction. Okay. Someone, right. you know, maybe is, is trying to engage you in road rage or, or something like that and being competitive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to participate. Mm-hmm. You can get mm-hmm. off the freeway. And if you're being followed, you call 911, right? There are many mm-hmm. things that you can do. So I, again, I don't know. And I don't know if I believe who started this, but according to the preliminary report, investigators say that Allison attempted to run Hale's vehicle off the road. The Nassau County Sheriff says that Hale pulled his Dodge Ram right next to Allison's Murano and yelled at Allison to pull over. First of all, who are you to tell anybody to pull over? Have you lost your mind? Yeah. I mean... You know, that that is really where it's going to be very interesting to see how a defense attorney is going to manipulate those set of facts. Uh, You're going to start being very particular about the type of vehicles they're driving, right? A Dodge Ram is much larger than a mini SUV, a Nissan Murano. Uh, And so, you know, defense attorneys are going to start picking apart those facts and saying, well, you know, did Allison take that as a threat? Was his vehicle much larger? Did he feel like in that moment he had no other choice but to defend himself uh, with a weapon, right? Now, that may be a legal argument, but like we've said, what does a reasonable jury think? Do they think that, no, you know, he could have disengaged. Um, But what's interesting about Florida law is there's not always a duty to retreat. Uh, And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they actually start picking apart these facts, what the law is, but what a reasonable jury is actually going to think at the end of the day. Do you really believe that these two are going to go to a jury trial? Don't you think? Oh, I, gonna- I sure hope not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think they would be hopefully a good uh, defense attorney is going to tell them you need to take whatever deal a prosecutor is giving you because both of you made horrific decisions, multiple decisions, one right after another um, that led to almost the death of your own children. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or innocent drivers who weren't involved, not that the children aren't innocent, but people who were not involved in this, because according to this next part of the report, sounds like some of the family members were also engaging in some Mm -hmm. not so nice behavior. All right. So now we have Allison, who's in the Murano, has been told by the Dodge Ram to pull over. Okay, like that's kind of crazy. So at this point, Allison's wife. So, right. The driver in the in the Murano, his wife... (laughs) I gotta love this. She allegedly flips Dodge Ram man the finger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, he doesn't like that, does he? So right. what does he do? <laughs> Someone in Dodge Ram car takes a water bottle and throws it at the Murano car and it lands in the car. Okay. So <laughs> Allison told deputies that the water bottle did not injure him or cause him to lose control mm-hmm. of his vehicle. Oh, of course not. He's totally in control. <laughs> so now, the fact that one threw a water bottle at the other, does that mm-hmm. have any, is that pertinent in any way here? You, you know, I, I'm not so sure that it's going to make or break a case. Uh, you know, I think a good defense attorney can continue to say that, you know, those actions of the other were increasing maybe the danger or increasing the amount of threat or, you know, everything from, you know, Allison's car was just verbal or maybe flicking somebody off was just, you know, not as threatening. But the second that somebody threw something or really engaged in that kind of action, 
you know, perhaps they really took it as an increasing of a physical threat. Um, So who knows? You know, I'm not I'm not so sure. Um, But you mean, you're right. It's not just the drivers of these vehicles that were deciding to make poor choices. I mean, it's evidently clear that everyone, you know, minus the children uh, were making poor decisions that day. Yeah, absolutely. So now the water bottle has been thrown and at this into Allison's car and Allison's like, okay, well, that's now escalated. So I'm escalating. According to police, he pulls out his 45 and he fires one shot at the Dodge and then pulls away. That bullet entered the right side passenger door, hitting Hale's five-year-old daughter in the right leg. Allison told police, yes, he shot first for in retaliation for the water bottle being thrown at him. But wait a minute, th- this is the best part. But this is the, the rest of his explanation, which is just as foolish as everything else that's happened. Yeah. And he said the goal of firing into the other vehicle, this was the goal, quote, to get out of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. the man a moron? I mean, mm-hmm. how does that get you out of the whole situation? Yeah. I mean, the easiest thing to do would just drive away, to just press on your brakes, to increase speed, to exit, to pull over, to do anything, I think, but that decision. I mean, it really was. I mean, there's just so many different things he could have done to disengage. Uh, But like I said, you know, Florida has a very odd self-defense statute when it comes to a duty to retreat or duty not to retreat. Um, Sometimes they look at your car very similar to your house in the sense of that is your place, your belonging. Um, Do I think it applies in this situation? Probably not. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's just not uh, any reasonable action to think that that's how you get out of it. I mean, that's absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Problem solving. Is this what you're teaching your children? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so it's like dumb and dumber, these two, without question. Mm -hmm. So then when Hale, the guy in the Dodge, realizes that his daughter has been shot, oh, well, now he goes after the other driver in the other car that's already taken off. Hale, the guy in the Dodge, allegedly pulls out a Glock and starts shooting. Hale unloads and shoots the 14-year-old girl in the other vehicle. She's shot in the back. Her lung collapses. Now, here is the Nassau County Sheriff, Bill Leeper, explaining what happens next. As the Nissan was leaving the Dodge Ram, the Ram driver, Hale, sped up to get closer to the Nissan and began firing several shots from his Glock 43 9mm semi-automatic handgun out of the driver window with his left hand back at the Nissan. According to the Dodge driver, Hale, he shot everything that was in the magazine, seven or eight rounds. The sheriff says he unloaded everything he had into that car. It's a miracle that no one was killed. I I, I mean, that's insane to think that, one, that's a reasonable response. Like we said, the 14-year-old was shot in the back. A normal magazine will usually carry either six or 10 rounds. And it is a true miracle that no one was killed either in that vehicle or anyone else driving on that road. That's insane. Yeah, it's just incredible. And so if we would like to hear the answer from Hale, the Dodge pickup driver, and what his logic was, 
Hale called the decision, quote, an instant reaction and noted again that he fired everything in his clip. That's his instant reaction. Again, dad's problem solving, showing kids how to Mm -hmm. deal with things. Mm -hmm. So according to deputies, at least three of the bullets fired by Hale hit the Nissan. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, one went through the back seat. And I mean, just mayhem, mayhem, because now at this point, right now there's been car to car shooting still driving on highway one it's not like they're pulled over so Mm -hmm. there are other cars around during this time the police say that the wives of both drivers are calling 911 asking for help (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right because clearly they can't say to their husbands what the hell are you doing stop it you know and bonk them in the head (laughs) so William Hale and Frank Allison were arrested and charged with second-degree attempted murder. Both men were each held on $150,000 bail. They bonded out. Now, the sheriff summed up the incident this way. What is scarier than one crazy driver with a gun? Two crazy drivers with a gun. Thankfully, no one was killed in this incident, but it could have been very easily turned out that way because two people were acting stupid and let their tempers get the best of them. There could have been two dead kids because of two stupid grown men. I think the sheriff, you know, says it perfectly. These are two stupid men, one stupider than the other, dumb and dumber, very dangerous. I, I have a question, though. They, is there such a charge as road rage? Because they weren't charged with like, um, or arrested um, for driving recklessly, for example, or other things. Does that mean that that will still to come? And if you're a prosecutor, what do you do with this? What would you have done with it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the, definitely there are appropriate charges of attempted murder are great in the second degree. There is definitely a callous disregard for human life, any reasonable person is going to understand that their actions had a potential uh, to be deadly, right? Uh, that no doubt they could have killed anybody and specifically each other's daughters. Uh, but I would say it would be smarter to just go ahead and charge them with those misdemeanor reckless driving charges. Because I think If you're thinking ahead as a prosecutor, that's going to make them ineligible for any kind of self-defense claim, Um, because if either of them or a defense attorney is going to want to try and claim that at any point from the beginning that those two started their entire road rage incident and they're going to try and claim self-defense from the other, if either of them are involved in any kind of criminal activity throughout that entire episode, it makes them ineligible for self-defense. And so as a prosecutor, I would start thinking, how can I get a charge before that attempted murder charge so that I can disqualify them for self-defense? And so I would start thinking about putting additional charges as a prosecutor. As a parent, I'm so furious at these two for, for putting their children in this danger and the terror of this this entire episode that they lived and survived. I have a question. 
Why has no one called, and maybe they have, Child Protective Services? Because I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, these two Mm -hmm. dads have not exhibited behavior of protecting your children. Do you think that that's a possibility here, or am I just, you know, I'm just an angry mother? (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, I don't know how Florida works when it comes to Child Protective Services. Here in Texas, it definitely runs concurrent or in tandem with our cases. If there are any times where a child is in danger or in a dangerous situation, the police, while or at the time that they are filing a police report, they immediately notify CPS. So usually while a criminal case is pending, there's usually a CPS case pending as well. Um, And since that's kind of like a different department, uh, we won't kind of negotiate or do anything with that. We have no control as a former prosecutor, we would tell defense attorneys or we would tell family members, look, you kind of have to deal with that separately. I mean, you have to abide by whatever they're doing. So hopefully Florida is the same way. You know, I kind of think sometimes they're the wild, wild west over there. So who knows? Hopefully they do, because uh, that's just the most unfortunate situation that as parents, they made a series of poor decisions and it was their children who paid the price. Absolutely. I really do hope, I I hope that they throw everything at these two Mm -hmm. because their lack of self-control to me is so dangerous, Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. dangerous. I know we'd be having a different conversation if someone were severely injured or killed. Um, But I mean, these two, I have no confidence that even if they negotiate a deal and, you know, they have to go to anger management and all this, I just have no confidence that these two will live a better life. Mm-mm. No, no. And I mean, you would hope that at least in Texas, if you are charged, or you're on probation, or you have any type of felony, you lose your right to own a gun or even be near a gun. And so you hope that that is the same thing that happens Um, But you also have no control over how they're going to act on their daily lives, right? And when you're thinking, driving is just a thing that you do every single day. And so with or without that weapon, uh, you just hope that they can control themselves like everybody else does on the road. Um, And to think that they have their families in their car and they couldn't even do that. Yeah, that's pretty concerning. Yeah, the the sheriff, and I was listening very carefully, he said, not only don't engage, he said, don't even make eye contact oh, yeah. with someone who is trying to cut in front of you, or if they cut in front of you, or if they're behind you, or anything like that. Just don't even make eye contact. And usually half the time, you know, I'm doing this, what are you doing, you know, kind of thing. But even that could be seen as an escalation. So you got to like, really keep your hands on the wheel and your motions and be like, just, just get out of it. Just pull out, don't engage, Mm -hmm. let them find someone. If they want to pick a fight, let them pick a fight with someone else. I mean, it's so true. I've, I've had to say that to friends and family members because as a prosecutor, we saw so many cases of road rage that escalated to this kind of behavior. Not many times were there shots fired, but many times we'd see People pull out a weapon, wave it around, either outside the window or through the window. And it was stranger on stranger cases. Uh, And you just never know because it just takes one second to pull that trigger. 
Our next case is also out of Florida and also about a father behaving badly. But in this case, it is far more violent. A bodybuilder is charged with murdering the mother of his children and then setting her body on fire. This happened out of Henry County, Florida. 43-year-old Ian Baunock is accused of killing 39-year-old Katie Baunock, his ex-wife, who was last seen alive on September 29th of this year. Ian had a previous history of domestic violence and his wife's disappearance came days after she managed to secure a protective order alleging that Ian had physically harmed one of their children. I know this is an area of expertise for you. Mm -hmm. Alexander, we see this all the time, all the time. The domestic violence, you know, it just, oh, so many times it ends in murder. Absolutely. You know, this is just another heartbreaking case of domestic violence that we know and have seen most likely a pattern of behavior that has escalated of power and control of small abuse escalating to extreme abuse to I have no doubt that she most likely drew the line when it came to the abuse of her child. And that was probably where she drew the line and said, you know what, this is it, no more. Uh, And whether he lured her there, whether it was just she went back to get some belongings, but that was the end, you know? And I know that weapons were found and statistically over half of domestic violence homicides are done with a firearm. Uh, And so this is just unfortunately, a horrific statistic that is just so heartbreaking. It really is. And even when the courts have gotten involved, even with protective orders, even when Mm -hmm. some mothers and their children are in hiding, their abusers will track them down. And, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's so scary to me because I feel that even, and in this case, I personally don't believe that everyone did the right thing here, and I'll, I'll get into that. But even when, let's say, the system actually works and works as best as it can, even when they're in hiding, Alexandra, sometimes when someone is so determined to kill you, there is just no way to stop them. Yeah, I mean, there will always be a situation where someone is determined to escalate their, you know, their control, their behavior of manipulation, their anger. And once they've made that decision to just have that final say in whatever way they want to do it, they're going to do it. Uh, And and nothing's going to stop them from doing that. And that's the frightening part. That is the really frightening part. So Katie was the mother of two children, ages four and six. The two met on a dating site, Christian Singles. They were together for eight years. Her marriage to Ian was described as always violent and volatile. It's Mm -hmm. not like, it. it's like, it seems like the whole thing was torturous, but according to her family and friends, she loved him, she wanted to make it work, and she really, really loved this guy. I don't understand why, but nonetheless, she hung in there. She was a nurse from New Albany, Kentucky, and he was a former Marine who turned professional bodybuilder. He was competitive, 6'3", 250 pounds. They married, and then Katie moved to Fort Myers, and that's where they started their family. So last November, you can tell we're at the end of it here. Last November, Katie called the cops, and Ian was arrested for domestic battery 
for allegedly strangling her. But according to the Daily Beast, prosecutors dropped the charges against Ian. They dropped the charges in January and the divorce goes through in January. Why in the world would they drop these charges? This guy maybe could have been in a prison or maybe something. But I just, I honestly, I do, I do blame prosecutors in part. I'm sorry, but I do. Oh, you know, and it's it's hard for me as a former prosecutor, especially not knowing the facts, not having the case in front of me. Uh, domestic violence cases, unfortunately, do have a high dropout rate in the sense of they're reduced, they're dismissed. They are hard to prove because a domestic violence victim is controlled. They are manipulated. And so there is never blamed you know, a victim cannot be blamed in that situation because these abusers are so powerful in their own situation. They control them by emotions. They control them financially. They control them either with their children or how they have their household set up. And so if there had already been a pattern of abuse and it escalated all the way up to a point of strangulation, I mean, that is a very powerful way to abuse somebody. And it's a very intimate way to abuse somebody because you are facing them. You are doing something that could lead to murder. I mean, that is probably one of the biggest ways to potentially kill somebody is strangulation. Um, But as a prosecutor, most of the times you are going to need the cooperation of your victim to prove your case. And so in those kinds of cases, if she did not want to cooperate. The prosecutors just may not have had a case. They didn't have the evidence that they needed. And so if she is going through a divorce, if she has just had this pattern of behavior, she may have just told the prosecutors, you know what? I just can't do this. I'm going to have a divorce. It's going to end. I'm out. Uh, And so who knows? Maybe they just didn't have a choice. Well, I hope as part of this investigation, this murder investigation, even though I know, you know, we, I'm not suggesting anyone there be charged, but I hope that there is truly an investigation here into what happened and why that was, why -hmm. those charges were dropped and what uh, insight we can get into this because I, I, it's so disturbing to me. I get it even with restraining orders, even, you know, with threatened prison time, everything, it doesn't stop them. But I think it's important for the system to do everything it can to protect the innocent. You know, I just, it's just, it breaks my heart. Now, earlier in September, Katie obtained a protective order keeping Ian away because he had allegedly physically abused one of their children. Now, if this wasn't enough of a situation, let's toss in Hurricane Ian in the middle of this insanity. So because of the hurricane, Katie went inland to stay with a friend and she took the kids with her. Now, while staying there, her ex-husband, this is according to other family members and to the friend, her ex-husband Ian supposedly contacted her and said, Katie, please come to the house and pick up the kids' things and personal items. So this to me sounds like the beginning of a trap. I know. I know. It it, it just, it, it always just gives me pause. And I always feel like 
it's like whenever people start dating on those social media apps and I sound like this paranoid mother where I'm like, okay, just share with me where you're going or go to a public place or don't, you know, don't tell them to pick you up at your place. Like it's always these situations where it's a red flag. And I understand that when those two people are together, he has already manipulated her. He has already controlled her. Her guard is down. Um, So it's by no means her fault, but for me, at least as a former prosecutor who has prosecuted family violence, domestic violence, offenses, that's immediately a red flag. Like she doesn't, at the end of the day, she, she can buy new things, right? Like she doesn't need those belongings. Uh, and so I just know immediately, like, it, this isn't going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. She could always buy something mm-hmm. or the kids will just have to do without, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. So on the next day, September 30th, Katie's family and friends got really worried because she never returned. So they asked the Henry County Sheriff's Department to please go do a welfare check at Ian's house. Deputies responding to the scene were unable to find Katie or Ian. However, they said that Katie's car was in Ian's driveway and her purse was still inside the car. That to me is is like a no. red flag that's on fire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, unfortunately, probably as a, a a police officer, a detective, a prosecutor, your mind is already made up at that point. You're thinking she's not answering her phone. She's nowhere to be found. I mean, at that point, you're you're typing up a search warrant. And they did. They did. Mm-hmm. They left the premises. They went to get a search warrant. And here's the amazing thing. When they came back a few hours later, her car had been moved out of the driveway and onto the street. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's in panic mode. He is in, how do I get out of this? Oh, yeah. He's in panic mode. Yeah. Well, it's not too bright if he only moves the car yeah. <laughs> to the street in front of his house. Sure. Am I right? This is not a genius here. No. So now that... Katie's car has been moved. They've got the search warrant and they end up getting additional search warrants. I guess each one is limited to different search areas. But here are some of the initial findings uh, of what they have. Remember, we said he was a bodybuilder, big guy. Well, they find 13 vials of steroids, according to authorities. So he's arrested that day just on that violation. He's charged with 13 counts of possession of a controlled substance without a prescription. Now keep in mind, they still haven't found Katie. So Alexander, from your perspective, they they charge him with an offense, which of course is not nearly as serious as what's coming down the road. But do you do that just to hold on to the guy and pressure him? Yeah. I mean, I think strategically you are trying to find anything, probably one to hold him in custody. Uh, You're always concerned about a flight risk, right? Or you're always concerned about somebody uh, manipulating or destroying evidence. Uh, And it's probably okay to start holding somebody in custody to get them just mentally scared, right? Um, And it probably also buys them time to either see if there's anything out in the open that can give them more probable cause to write an additional search warrant. Because like you said, maybe out in the open, uh, just in the front yard, that they can get a search warrant for that. But then getting more probable cause to search inside the house. If he has you know, further land outside, they're gonna have to get more probable cause. And so 
every time they kind of get one little breadcrumb, they're going to need a few more to continue that investigation. Uh, and so it's absolutely strategic for them to just be able to charge what they have, hold them in custody and continue their investigation. And they did. For four days, they searched that property. And then they finally found some human remains, including mm-hmm. part of a of a human jaw and a tooth. That's the initial thing that they found. This was in a burn pile on Ian's property in the backyard. The remains were later identified as those of Katie. Near the burn pile, investigators also discovered a 50-gallon barrel, like a burn barrel, and the investigators on the scene said they could smell decaying flesh. Inside the barrel, there were additional human bones and fragments. Investigators also noted... um, that they were pretty sure it was human at this point. I mean, it's, it's just horrific. They, they. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. There is no, there is no answer as to why fragments of your ex-wife should be in your mm-hmm. backyard. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that's that. At that point, you're that's a smoking gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there's, there's no one. There's no reason that that should be there. But the fact that you have a body that's just been basically torn apart in different pieces and burned like that. Uh, It is not just a black and white signs of a murder, but signs of a vicious, malicious, angry murder. Uh, and, And that just not only goes to intent, but his actual state of mind on how little he thought of her and probably how angry he was. And we've seen some cases um, on the podcast where we've had, as part of the domestic abuse, the um, accused killer was on steroids. This time, it's pretty clear, you know, at least based on the vials that were found. Does that give him any defense? Oh, he he was on steroids. He didn't know what he was doing. You know, that could be interesting. You know, in Texas, we have a part of our penal code that's called sudden passion. Uh, And it's really only meant for instances of we always give the scenario that you walk in and you catch your, you know, spouse, you know, in bed with somebody else, you pull out a gun. And in that moment, it's just so much emotion that you commit murder, attempted murder or something like that. Uh, And it's a section where you can do it in the punishment phase. And it could actually lower a first degree murder to a second degree murder in Texas. Um, but, you know, in Florida, I'm not so sure whether one, they have that, um, be something that you can be eligible for, nor do I think that that could apply. I mean, they could try, they could say that he was under the influence of, you know, some kind of narcotic or some kind of substance that just overcame him. They had some argument or he knew at that point that his wife and his children were being taken away and that that substance just overcame him you know who knows that they're going to try and do that in some kind of punishment phase that could be mitigating um but you know in texas we also look at someone's actions before during and after and it 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 would be something if he just shot her called the police and that was it but he went so far as to murder her most likely either take her apart or put her in a barrel and treat her like trash. I mean, his actions afterwards, 
I think, overcome any kind of mitigating evidence of the steroids. Oh, no compassion here. No, no compassion here at all. So investigators also looked at his truck. Um, they used luminol. Investigators claimed that they found evidence of blood. And, and this is what I'm trying to figure out because it's not quite clear to me what happened here. There, um, It looks like in the hallway and the entrance, the foyer and the garage doorway, there were signs of blood. Um, they believe that there was a struggle. So what I'm trying to figure out is like, why would there be blood in the car unless he was trying to, you know, get rid of her that way? Yeah. And I think, you know, once this case either starts progressing or we get more details, you know, there will probably be more evidence about uh, signs of a struggle or more about knowing exactly where and how the crime was committed you know, who knows that maybe the offense or the struggle happened inside the house. And that's really where his state of mind and the prosecutors are going to be able to really either increase uh, his punishment because those actions that he did after she died and after he killed her is going to be really important. Because like you said, he most likely started thinking, how am I going to get away with this? And that lack of remorse and that lack of care um, and honestly just evil activity uh, that he did to her after he murdered her, I think is going to become really important for the prosecutors to prove. Apparently, they found a safe and inside the safe. This is so interesting. They found Katie's wedding band and engagement ring. Now, Katie's friend claims that she was wearing it on the night that she left um, I find that interesting. If they divorced yeah. in January, why would she still be wearing it? We don't know. And then why would he have it in the safe? I, it's just the whole thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes um, I've seen that in either uh, serial killer cases or serial rapist cases where they keep these mementos. Uh, and I don't know whether it's a thrill or whether it's a power and control thing, uh, that there is something that they like to keep. Um, and whether it's just because he wanted it or whether because he thought in a burn pit, it wouldn't burn away and there would still be evidence. You know, I'm not sure. Um, you know, he could have just thrown it away or put it in a dumpster, right? Um, but it is um, a bit sociopath that he went through all the effort of one he killed her then he earned her and he did all these horrific things and then to kind of keep this memento uh i think is just a, a bit appalling for me personally yeah and as and as we said this is not the brightest guy at all in fact when the police said hey why is there blood in your vehicle he said oh that's not blood that's from my groceries yeah okay yeah all right Man is not a genius here. Um, they also found in the safe an AR-15 and 13 different silencers. That mm -hmm. is what really concerned mm -hmm. authorities. So he has additional uh, weapons charges now because um, apparently the guns had been modified to accept these silencers and ATF investigators alleged that none of the silencers were registered, resulting in these additional charges. Uh, law enforcement officials conducted an interview with Ian. You know, he said he waived his Miranda rights at the time. He claimed this is his version of events. And as we always say, we must remember he is charged. 
is presumed innocent until either the courts, a deal, or a jury decide what happened here. Doesn't look good, that's for sure. (laughs) Ian claimed that Katie came over, yes, because um, she needed gas. I'm sorry, but I think she's smart enough to go to a gas station. Call Mm -hmm. me crazy, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that this woman went over there to help get gas. Ian says, then they got into a fight, and that part of it may be true, and he claims it's because of another woman. And then he says, you know what? He was tired, so he went to sleep because he didn't want to keep fighting because that's who he is. And he told officers when he woke up, Katie was gone. Katie was gone. And he did say he was very angry, and I think this is probably true, that he was angry about the injunction against him keeping him from his child because of the allegations against mm-hmm. him. I'm, I'm sure that's for sure. So, um, you know, he did keep, you know, when they were questioning him and going on and on about, well, then why is there blood in your truck? And of course he says, ah, it's not, it's groceries. And asking all this other stuff, the, the cops say to him, you know, she's missing. And he says something really weird like, but you don't have a body. Yeah. yeah. How would you know that if mm-hmm. you didn't burn it in the backyard? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, more interesting about that is like when somebody says she's missing, why do you assume or presume that she's dead? You know, she could have ran away. She, you know, the hurricane just happened. Anything could have happened. She could have been kidnapped. Um, But the fact that he says those words to me are like, oh, so you already know she's dead. And you're saying you don't have a body to prove it because he thinks that he got rid of the evidence. I mean, that's just that to me is great. That's gold evidence for the prosecution. Mm -hmm. And really, the the saddest part of this whole story is not only the loss of Katie's life, but now Mm -hmm. you have two children whose mother has been violently murdered, Mm -hmm. possibly by their own father. And he, if convicted, will spend the rest of his life in prison And so what happens to the children? The children are being taken care of by Katie's mother, but that's just not the same. No, no. Yeah. And and this is just one of these things that we constantly see in domestic violence cases that it is the children or it is surrounding family members that are the ones who pay the price. Uh, And so, you know, we have the opportunity here in Texas when we have victim impact statements where either victims or family members, once the trial is completely over, they get to take the stand and make a statement to the defendant. And that is always the most heartbreaking part is because it's usually the children or it's usually a sibling or mother. And they do say that. They say, you know, you have torn apart a family or now children have to be raised without a mother and knowing that you're the cause of that. And that's just the most heartbreaking part about this case. Oh, it's so sad. Ian was formally charged with his former wife's murder on October 10th of this month, along with the first-degree murder charge. He faces charges of destruction and concealment of physical evidence, use of a two-way communication device to facilitate a felony, failure to report a death to a medical examiner, which is a charge that's also related to cremating a body. Uh, they hit. They, they threw everything at him. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, 
unlike, you know, in our first case where I'm like, where are the other charges? They're like everything. We're charging you with everything, buddy. And some are state, some are federal. Mm -hmm. So he's he's got a a long way to go here. The federal charges have to do with the unregistered firearms. And don't forget the drug charges as well for the 13 vials. So he is being held without bond in the Henry County Jail. It is time for our comment section. These are the cases you all are talking about on social media. Here's our producer, Will Updike, with what y'all are talking about. Hey, Will. Hey, Anna. How's it going? Good. Good to see you, Alexandra. So this week, we have a case of some unlikely costumed crime fighters. Now, this case comes out of Oakland, California, where the staff at a restaurant called Noka Ramen became costumed heroes after a woman entered the restaurant in need of help. So I got to address these costumes. I made a couple references to it, but the staff at the time of this incident were dressed as Power Rangers because (laughs) Noka Ramen serves a cocktail, which is called the Noka Rangers. So it's an homage to the popular costume crime fighters. So we got some interesting information on this case from a Twitter user who was reportedly in the restaurant at the time of the incident. So they said that they were at this ramen shop, which is Thai owned, uh, and all the staff are are dressed as Power Rangers. A woman comes rushing in and she says that she's not safe. And shortly thereafter, a man comes running in after her and he puts her like in a chokehold. So the woman, she's expressed that she's not safe. She's told the the staff that she doesn't want to go home with this man who is actively choking her. So we have the staff step in here and you have the Black Power Ranger who is reportedly the manager and the Yellow Ranger who come in and they tell the guy to get out of there. And much like the road rage case, this guy doesn't take the message. He decides to escalate things. So he throws a punch at these two Power Rangers. uh, And reportedly all the staff at this point yells, Quay, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's a Thai expression. It basically translates to WTF in English. All right. Oh, I like that. (laughs) I need this expression. (laughs) so, So he's now swung at the staff. Uh, the employee who's dressed as the Yellow Ranger ends up blocking the punch. And the employees at this point tell this woman, hey, go hide in our kitchen. It, it'll be safe for you there. Uh, and once again, the guy is not taking the message. He's had his punch blocked. He again escalates the situation. At this point, according to uh, those inside the restaurant, he starts using racial slurs mm-hmm. and he attempts to follow this woman into the kitchen uh, where the Yellow Ranger stops the man again. This time she grabs the guy by his collar removes him from the restaurant. And at this point, you know, the employees are trying to call the cops. They're trying to get authorities involved. The Twitter user who was there at the time noted that everyone in the restaurant was really shaken by this. Like people were crying. They were very upset, a very traumatic situation. So the pink ranger does a different type of heroic. She says, hey, everybody's meal is free. Uh, So everybody's got a free meal. They've seen a little bit of a traumatizing show, but a show nonetheless. But the incident still doesn't stop. This attacker comes back apparently with another person and tries to re-enter the restaurant. Now the staff dresses Power Rangers, mind you, all band together. They lock the door. They keep these guys out. Uh, And eventually police do arrive at the restaurant where one of the employees reportedly told authorities that the guy had started another fight somewhere down the pier. This guy is just on a rampage. Uh, So the Twitter user who, uh, you know, gave us a lot of detail on this, they thanked the Rangers for their time at the end of this Twitter thread. And they did add that the food at Noka Ramen was excellent. Uh, And then the restaurant themselves, they did a post on their Instagram. They posted a picture of all the staff members dressed in their Power Ranger costumes. And they said, 
Uh, yeah, it's adorable. The restaurant said, our Noka Rangers were real life heroes last night when an incident occurred. Like our heroic namesakes, it's not just the powers and costumes that give us strength. It's who and what we are inside that empowers us. Uh, so really great message there uh, for everybody. And, you know, obviously this story kind of kicked up a lot of heavy nostalgia for people in the comments. Uh, Robbie one said it's morphin time, uh, which I love. I, I, I don't know. I love it, it's kind of like the 911 callers in our first case, you know, like everyday people, you know, oftentimes have chances to kind of step up and they can really um, alleviate a situation or, or help someone. Um, <laughs> Hayden W thought that this guy actually got off lucky. He said he's just lucky they didn't bring out the Megazord, which if you're unfamiliar, all the Power Rangers have uh, robots that are animals or dinosaurs, and they can bond together to become the Megazord, which is, you know, like an unstoppable sort of crime fighter. Which is uh, what they lot, did, right? They, which they is did exactly that. what they did. Yeah, okay. yeah, they banded together. Um, so a lot of people really wish they could have been there for this incident. Lewis said, please let there be video footage. No, uh, <laughs> no note on that. I would even love to see the body cam footage of the officers just interviewing the staff in their Power Ranger costumes. Uh, one user was really interested in what this guy was going to say in jail. John said, imagine story in jail what happened to you i got my butt kicked by the pink ranger which uh you know would be a heck of a story i i don't know if that gives you any credibility in jail but it uh it certainly is a tale that you won't forget um we had a lot of people really excited about these real life superheroes pop tarts said and they tried to tell me power rangers aren't real yeah Look who's laughing now mm -hmm. uh, which, i know it's so nostalgic i feel like yes. i grew up watching the power rangers how is this not trending like go go power rangers no like, it's absolutely so it's it's such a wild story it's so great that these people you know kind of went above and beyond the call of service and yeah as a kid who was a huge power rangers fan um it's <laughs> it's good to see very cool. I saw the photo yesterday on our YouTube site, uh, our channel, <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is this? And I was like, ooh, I hope Will talks about this. <laughs> had to, had to, yeah. Uh, it's just a great story uh, and a great message for everybody. So that'll do it for today's comment section. As always, if you'd like a chance to get your comment featured on the show, go ahead, leave those over on our YouTube community page. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can reach out to us there. And our push to 5 million subscribers continues. Uh, so please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube page. Tell your friends to do the same. Uh, but that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much. I'll see you all next week. Bye, Will. So that is our program, our episode for this week. Alexandra, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally were able to get you on the program. You've just been a delight. I hope you come back. Please, please. This was so great. Thank you so much for having me. If people want to follow you or find you, um, can they find you either through your law firm or do you have a social media presence? Yeah, absolutely. I work at Estrada Puente Law Firm. If you guys need any services in Dallas, Texas, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alexandra underscore HD 114. Excellent. Okay. And we will link to all of that um, on our website website and on YouTube. You can find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N. Of course, all our episodes to all of our podcasts are available wherever you all get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and then sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And until next week, as we always say, don't do crime.